Hi, this is Dr. Adrian. Welcome to Health Bite, the podcast where we explore all things health and wellness. Hey there, Health Bite podcasters. In anticipation of my upcoming book, Hungry for More, I'm taking a shift in the podcast to take a deep dive into our hunger. As always, we know there are many reasons we eat, physiologic hunger being just one of them. Hunger, of course, can be emotional, even spiritual. And overweight or not, our relationship with food is symbolic of our relationship with ourselves. How do we care for ourselves? Are we worthy of the time and attention required for that care? What boundaries are necessary to support the healthy relationships with others and with ourselves? And what true longing is our desire for food signaling? Our reckoning with food can be a way of opening up to these significant questions. And a change in our relationship with food can be a spark for broader change creating a rippling effect to other areas of our lives. As always, my goal is to provide you with small, actionable health bites to support you towards your path towards physical, mental, and emotional well-being. In the next several episodes, we will dive deep together to explore these hungers more fully. I will draw from evidence-based medicine, scientific research, patient stories, and personal experiences to help you understand the universal stories and science behind our hungers. And I encourage you to head over to hungryformore.net where you can download an excerpt from my book, Hungry For More, Stories and Science to Inspire Weight Loss from the Inside Out. Now let's dig in. So welcome back, Health Bite community. I'm so happy to have friend, trainer, co-exerciser, mommy companion, Jay-Z with me here today. I'm so glad you're here. It's great to see you. Yeah, it's so glad to be back in your presence. I miss having you take my classes, girl. I know, I know. It's been a tough year without our routines, but we're getting there. We're getting back. So you're a trainer, you educate on nutrition, you're a health enthusiast. What turned you on to this world? Can you tell us how you got involved in all this? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been an athlete my whole life, but I've always struggled with body image, you know, in high school, into college. And I always had that ambition of being more fit. So I worked out in the gym, of course, and I was always playing sports, never ate good ever. It was never taught to me as a kid. But when I went to college, I ended up enrolling in one of the health clubs around the college campus because I didn't really like the college campus. It was very grimy and just it wasn't for me. And it was far away from my dorm. I went to SUNY Albany, by the way, for undergrad. It was like super cold there. I was just going to say, I was like, I'm envisioning like ice. It, it was. It was like wind tunnels. I mean, you even like drive your car there and you're like, you have to wear like this heavy coat just to go to this sweaty gym. It just didn't work for me. So I'm like, mom, can you please give me a couple dollars? Can I enroll in like a health club? And she said, sure, go ahead. Back when it was a couple dollars, right? Oh my God. Literally, not to age myself, but. <laughs> Thank God for good moisturizer. Exactly. <laughs> she said, go ahead, join the gym because it'll make you go to the gym and work out. So at that point, and you know, this is outside of playing sports, you still want to lift and, you know, do your cardiovascular and everything else in a more structured environment. So I joined Bally Total Fitness and I got my first two private training sessions. They were complimentary at the time. And I'm sitting in the office talking to a guy by the name of Pablo. He was my trainer that was assigned. And the fitness manager was sitting in the office at the time that he was talking to me, asking me about my fitness goals. And he just, he says to me, 
are you interested in becoming a trainer? And I'm like, no, I'm in college. I'm in my last year of college. And he's like, okay, well, you're perfect. Your energy is great. And we need a female right now. And I was like, oh, well, what do I need to do to work here? And he's like, you need to get certified. Then I have to mentor you. We're going to put you through six months of mentorship. And I'm like, whoa, that's like overwhelming. So he's like, get the certification first and we'll start there. You have to do this. And I'm like, okay. So I call my mom up and long story short, she's like, how much is the certification? $400? Absolutely not. I'm like, mom, please let me do this. So she gave me the money, got my first certification. I ended up being mentored by a guy by the name of Chaz. And he was so hot, by the way. He was this like short Asian guy with blue eyes. He was just so hot. It makes sense, like 80s Chaz. First of all, I want to just tell you that I used to work out at Bally's when I was in medical school. So yes, that's another thing we have in common. But I'm curious about your history of body image or body dysmorphia. Were you overweight at the time or what was going on? Yeah, great question. I come from an overweight family. So I think that when you're surrounded by that, it's very challenging. You think that you're, that's like your destiny. You're going to go that route. But to that point, we would have cereals and bagels and ice cream in the house. We all ate it. We were all, I like to call myself fluffy, but I was super athletic. So I was like a fluffy athletic build, but I was never overweight. But if you see pictures of me from when I was a teenager, you would see that that compared to now I look, you know, more fit now. Right. But, but I guess I'm just trying to point out that as often as the case, you didn't have a weight issue, right? But a body composition issue, which I teach a lot of people about, because if we just glue ourselves to the scale and that's the number we see, what does that mean? But my body fat was definitely elevated because I was eating a lot of sugar, you know, and that was lends itself to me putting a bikini on going to the beach with a couple of these girls who genetically were super skinny. They eat the same stuff, maybe not in the same amount of, you know, volume that I did because there's genetic dispositions to how much we eat. It's like every girl had the super skinny friend, right? Who ate whatever they wanted, right? You're like, how do you do that and stay this skinny? But that's why I had body dysmorphia because I literally, like I grew up in a very affluent town and you know, everybody just looked great, wore nice clothing. And when you tried on certain things who was fluffy, I think that's a good word to use on myself. You just didn't feel like you looked as good as someone else who was skinnier. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and unfortunately that concept happens no matter how thin you are. And, you know, in doing research for my book that I was just telling you about, I was surprised to hear that even a good percentage of underweight girls have body dysmorphia and they're underweight by medical definition. And they still think they need to lose weight. And we're not even talking about like anorexics. They're, they don't have anorexia. They just have body dysmorphia despite being, you know, underweight. So it is a universal problem. And you know, I also think it speaks to, I mean, it makes me feel more compassionate for the whole thing because you can't judge from the outside what people are feeling about themselves on the inside. You may be looking at your skinny friend, right? And thinking, damn her, right? But you don't know what irks her, you know, what ruminations she has. So it is kind of the human condition as I like to talk about it. I fell in love with my body in my twenties though. 
So now you're working out with Chaz. I got mentored by Chaz. I worked with him. You know, he had me do fitness programming. And once he felt like I was ready, then I got to the floor. I got to get my own private clients. And I was one of the busiest trainers in the entire gym because I had so much compassion. And I understood what people were going through because I went through it, you know, but I lost a majority of my weight being on that team because I was about to drink a milkshake and Pablo was like, what are you drinking? Is that ice cream? And I'm like, hell yeah, I just worked out. And I'm like, what are you drinking? And he was drinking a protein smoothie. And I'm like, oh, I can't even get into that, you know, but I eventually got into it. And, you know, long story short, here we are. I, you know, ended up going into upper management. So I worked my way up in the chain. And by that point, I started managing other trainers on how to be great trainers. And then I went into, you know, general management. And then that propelled me into a master's degree in kinesiology, because a lot of the trainers I was managing, they had, you know, undergraduate degrees in kinesiology. So I'm very competitive. I'm like, well, if they have an undergraduate degree. I'm going to get a master's degree. So I went back to school part-time, worked full-time, and I ended up getting my master's in Kines. And then right out of that, I ended up going into medical weight loss and I worked with doctors and nurses. I was the clinical manager. And from there, I went into age management medicine. And that's what I'm doing today, along with, you know, doing my coaching and my fitness training, nutrition coaching. That's awesome. I didn't know that about you. I didn't know that that's how it started. So you do, you have a passion for for getting people's foot in the door, right? We talked about this, right? So talk a little bit about your philosophy about movement, fitness, exercise, whatever word you like to use. Yeah. And actually, I'm glad you brought up those two words because I think there's a huge difference between fitness and movements. So the thing is, and we were kind of talking about this before, everybody has to start somewhere. And I think that if somebody can, you know, get into someone else's hands, like either myself or some other fitness expert that they trust has the background and the credentials to provide them with the right goals, if you will, I think that's the starting point for some people. Other people just need to get started somewhere. Okay. Because it's all about making progress. If you never start, you're never going to make progress. But for someone who's never exercised in their life, there are very small baby steps they can take to getting fit. Okay, we can't just look at athletes. We can't just look at the skinny people that are always working out. You see them in the gym and you're like, I'll never look like that. Or the skinny people who actually aren't working out. Not all skinny people work out, right? It's just the assumption that they're fit, but they aren't necessarily, right? Yeah, and you know, I kind of want to touch on that point. There are skinny people that work out, but if they're underweight, like what you've experienced in your clinic, they have osteoporosis. Some of these girls, they have, you know, they have arthritis. They've got things going on that they don't talk about. We just measured a girl in the clinic. She was a bodybuilder for years and I'm her fitness and nutrition counselor. And I texted her introducing myself, you know, Hey, let's hop on a call. Let's discuss your fitness assessments. Cause that's what I do. And she's like, I don't know if you know, but I have over 20 years of experience as a fitness professional myself. I know what I need to do. And I'm like, okay, you're overtraining and you're going to kill yourself. You're going to break your bones in half because she's full on osteoporosis. So she may look good, but she's not healthy. Okay. And you know, for someone who's really starting their journey, I say, remove all expectations and stop comparing yourself, but start with something simple. Exercise is so intimidating for so many people, right? I mean, even basic stuff. We don't all aspire to be bodybuilders. Why do you think that is? Why do you think exercise is so intimidating? Because I think it's a direct correlation to if I exercise, I better look good. If I exercise, I better perform really well. 
if I exercise, I better be able to wear a certain outfit and look a certain way. And really it's not about that. In fact, exercise is defined as challenging your muscles or elevating your heart rate to a certain level. So another thing is that people don't like to feel their heart beating in their chest so hard. It's like, oh my God, am I having a heart attack? Some people don't like to sweat because then they got to do their hair that night. <laughs> and that's all understandable. But unfortunately, if people want to age well and keep the body young, then it's really the you know a huge part of the formula that cannot be missed. What am I mantras is I wish that exercise and weight loss could get a divorce, right? Because there's so many benefits of exercise and actually weight loss isn't necessarily one of them, right? But in terms of disease management, mood, cognition, I mean, there's so many benefits. And for me personally, I talk about this. I have three kids. I've got, you know, a job and a side gig. And, you know, if I didn't run daily, I would be a psycho woman. So how do we demystify this for people? Because people are intimidated, right? And there is so much judgment and we associate fitness with a look, which is bogus, right? It doesn't correlate. So how can we get people to get their foot in the door? Yeah, I, I think that people need to first set a specific goal for themselves, okay? When you say get a foot in the door, it doesn't necessarily mean they have to physically go to a place for some people that's too intimidating, you know, they just want to, you know, stay out of the gym until they feel ready. But the question is like, what are they doing to prepare themselves to get ready? So I say, demystify it by setting a goal like, hey, I'm going to get 10,000 steps for the next week. Okay. As simple as that might sound. And even though it's not exercise per se, it's still something more than what most people do because even fit people don't get 10,000 steps a day. People don't realize that either. You know, and I have my clients keep a log for me. They're actually logging how much movement they get along with how much exercise they get. And they're not moving enough during the day because they have jobs. They're sitting at a desk and, you know, the only hour that they're moving is when they're at the gym. So I think step one is, especially if it's a beginner, set a very specific goal for yourself. Okay. Maybe I'm just going to do, I don't know, three days a week of a couple of calisthenics. I'm going to try to do knee push-ups. I'm going to try to do some squats. I'm going to try to do some crunches. I'm just throwing an example out there because if you could attach to something that you achieved and you actually follow through on, that's diving in the pool for me. Okay. Cause from there you're like, okay, I've been doing this for three weeks. I've been doing it three days a week. Okay. Go me. Let me add to that. Okay. How many steps am I getting? Maybe now you add steps. So now you're doing your calisthenics. Now you're doing your steps or even switch the order but something that's tangible, something that you could physically say, I did it. Another thing to consider is a success chart. You know, I'm potty training my daughter who's actually fully potty trained. And we had, a, I was going to put a chart up and I never got around to it. Okay. But you hear that, you know, every time they go pee pee in the potty, you put a certain like sticker on there. Instead, I gave her, don't laugh at me, but M&Ms which demystified M&Ms. She doesn't even want them anymore, but that's a whole other conversation. But with a beginner for exercise, maybe they have some sort of success chart where they can see what they've done. I actually designed that for a couple of my nutrition clients. I wrote 2021, January, February, March, April, May, and I put little boxes within the letters itself. And every time they exercised that day, so January one had a box, it said one, they got to color it in two, oh, I didn't exercise, but three, I exercise. So by the end of January, they have this colorful month. 
And that feels good. That also speaks to like having doable expectations, like you said, or, or something that's manageable. I think you use, because sometimes people are waiting like, okay, I'm going to start working out when I can go four times a week for an hour. Right. And it's like, why? Like that time may never come. And not only that, but if you set that goal and you know, you can't do it, it's demotivating. Then you start badgering or berating yourself. Why didn't I achieve that goal? You may do something similar, but something that I do with my patients is I ask them what's a doable goal. And then I always want them to like really think and scale back. Like I want the goal that you cannot negotiate in any shape or form, right? The goal that you absolutely will get done. And then once you do that non-negotiably, there's a certain like agency to that, right? You're like, go me, right? And, and the truth is that it doesn't take a lot, right? Like there's studies to show that you jump up and down for seven minutes a day and you're already in better cardiopulmonary fitness. And you could break your exercise programming up into small little intervals. I mean, that's the whole Tabata method is four minutes and people are getting in the best shape of their life. And how are we measuring that is through VO2 max assessments. Okay. So if you could measure how much volume your body is getting of oxygen, you know, through all the muscle cells, it's so spectacular that these patients didn't really exercise longer than that for a certain period of time. And their VO2 max went up. So yeah, break that down a little bit because people may not understand. Talk about that a little bit more about the timing and the measurement. Yeah. So I like to describe it as the miles per gallon your body gets. Okay. You're not going to buy a vehicle that gets highway mileage of like 19 miles per gallon. Okay. It's a waste of money for that car. It's a waste. So the human body, like when we do VO2 max testing, most of our patients test below 30 milliliters per kilogram of body weight per minute of oxygen. So think of it this way. You're inhaling oxygen. How much of that oxygen is actually being disseminated to the cells in the body? Okay. There's a certain amount. So your, your body, as it gets more fit, becomes fuel efficient and your body actually utilizes oxygen for everything you do. It helps at, as a result of that with performance. So if you're actually an athlete, you definitely want to have a high VO2 max. But even if you're not an athlete, even if you're just a person that goes to work and just is always tired and you just feel like achy and all that stuff, VO2 max actually by it being higher will help you with energy. It helps you with sleep. It helps you with fat metabolism. It helps you with aging. It helps you with your hormone production. I mean, there's so many different things it helps with that. Of course you want that. A lot of our patients that come to our clinic, cause it's an age management clinic, their libido is low. So the very first thing we talk about is you have to exercise and I have them do stuff to elevate their VO2 max because you need oxygen down there. And what you're saying is that even short bouts of four minutes can help you achieve a higher VO2 max, which is, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Can you get into a little bit about like different types of exercise? So you talked about Tabata, people talk about strength training, you know, Pilates, what should they do? Like, first of all, give us a breakdown of the different types. Okay. And before I even say that, the best exercise program for the person watching is the exercise program they'll do. 100%, right? What gives you joy? Like even, I'm like, if it's singing Madonna songs on your hairbrush and dancing around your house for 30 minutes, you do that girl. As long as it elevates your heart rate, it counts as exercise. <laughs> 
basically there's so many different types of exercise. I call them modes of activity. Okay. There's strength training. There's meditative exercise. I, I am going to categorize that as the yogas. There's the lengthening exercises like the Pilates there's cardiovascular, but within cardiovascular there's endurance training. There's, you know, strength type training, there's power training. So we could dive into each of those if you want, but the main thing is we, we need cardiovascular and we need some sort of muscle toning exercises. So a lot of people, People don't like to lift heavy. I have a lot of people saying, oh, I don't want to get all bulky. You know, you're not going to get bulky. The biggest thing for training with weights is you strengthen your bones. There's nothing else that's going to strengthen your bones, but strength training doesn't need to be heavy, but it needs to be challenging. Okay. And you know, at that point you want to definitely make sure you're doing it correctly where you're not, you know, lifting heavy and throwing your joints out of alignment. So that's where people also get scared. Like, oh, I don't want to do it wrong. So therefore I'm not going to do it. So sometimes it's worth investing in a personal trainer for a couple of sessions Yeah, to learn. I've trained like people a couple of sessions and I graduate them. I'm like, you don't need me. Just do what I taught you. I teach them about abdominal bracing, optimal alignment. And once they get that, now they just think about what I taught them and they apply it into group settings and things that aren't, you know, so costly, but that basically is it. And then there's of course sports. You know, so there's sports training, there's the sport itself is exercise. And then within cardiovascular, like I said, there's different types of modalities of training. There's, you know, running, there's jogging, there's power walking, there's swimming. I think the big take home message is probably, well, number one, do what you love, you know, find something that you enjoy. Well, I just need to give a caveat for that. Cause sometimes people are like, I just don't love running. And sometimes you have to, I'm not saying people should run, but sometimes you just have to you know, you have to stay in that routine for long enough that you will achieve that joy from it. Sometimes you have to do what's good for you, right? And then eventually you'll come around and you will enjoy it invariably. So there is that, but I digress. But the main thing is do what you love, but also in terms of the types of exercise, something cardiovascular, as well as something strength training, because they have different benefits. Yeah. Yeah. And if they don't want to start with lifting weights, a yoga class is okay as well, because it's body weight, body weight is challenging the muscles. And for some people they're lifting their own body weight. So that's not like you're lifting nothing. Right. 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 And that they're not mutually exclusive, right? There, there is crossover between these two categories. You know, at some point we do need to lift weights at some capacity. Like, look, I have a six month old, I'm lifting weights all day long. Okay. So a lot of new moms out there, if they're, you know, lifting their boy or girl, it's like, you know, that does count, but are they doing it repetitively where there's actually a change? So at that point, I would need to talk to the individual and see exactly what they're doing. If they're lifting the baby out of the crib and then putting the baby in a chair, that's not so much exercise versus holding the baby around, cooking dinner, getting the toddler, going outside with the toddler, running with the toddler up and down the driveway a million times. Like that's exercise. You could count that. I mean, I'm tired just listening to you, girl. That's my life. <laughs> you know, I actually have a plan to take the stroller when he wakes up from his nap. I'm going to walk about two miles. I have to get my protein smoothies for Sunday's class. I teach four classes back to back. So I like my protein smoothies and they're already like made for you. And you know, the walk, I walk very quick. And every time there's a light, I, I sprint across and these are big roads, you know, LA it's, it's huge, you know? So by the time I get back, I'm sweating. I want to kind of shift back into the food piece a little bit, and we may shift back into the exercise piece. We can kind of take it where we want, but so much conversation about, and I don't want to focus on weight so much, but there's so much misinformation about like the proper diet 
or the proper nutrition for the athlete or for exercise, because not, you know, so many of us are not athletes or, or classify ourselves as that. The carb loading, the no carbs, the protein before you work out. So give me your kind of, I, I, I'm not going to have you demystify every myth. I'll never forget. So when I was working for a company called Senogenics years ago, it's an age management company. I was sitting in the office of Dr. Willicks and he's a cardiologist. Okay. He took all the fitness and nutrition counselors into his office and he asked me the, us the question that will never, I'll never forget this the rest of my career, the rest of my life. And he talked like this. He's like, he's like, you know, is, is medicine a science or an art? And he, the answer was that medicine is actually an art, okay? And he said that every single body is different and that there's no one way, okay? So with that said, it, it gave me the permission slip to work with each individual as an individual. We have people that come to the gym who swear that when there's nothing in their stomach, they perform better. Then you have people that say they're, gonna, they're lightheaded, so they need something. What should they eat? Then you have that other person that says, I want to lose weight. I have to eat before I go to the gym. What should I eat so that I'm burning fat, but I also lose weight and I still could perform in your class. Many different stories, but it's the same class, right? I think the best answer to that is to first figure out what someone's goals are. Okay. Because it's just, it's such a broad question to give one answer. That's not going to fit everybody watching this show. Does that make sense? But to that point, don't eat an hour before you exercise because then you have the gastric dumping. You, you want to make sure your stomach is not full because then you're going to be sick. <laughs> there is some data, though, about protein before and after in terms of like muscle growth and all of that. It's the before that I feel could be different. The after, you know, there's the whole rule of the adrenaline rush and that's going to suppress the insulin response. So every time, you know, someone wants to eat carbs, I'm like, do it after you exercise, assuming you showed up to your program. But yeah, definitely the protein. I mean, it really depends. I've had guys, I'm like, okay, drink this protein smoothie right after you exercise, have a nice healthy meal about two to three hours after that. And let's do a DEXA scan because we do DEXA scans. So we actually have the data, you know, is the muscle increasing? Is it staying the same or is it declining? Everyone's different. And the DEXA scan is to, to measure muscle mass and body composition. Yes. Yeah. And we also do bone densitometry as well, since it does that. This is always like the question people ask. I was just on another podcast myself being interviewed and this always comes up, the carbohydrate question, the vilifying the carbs. So I know what my feelings are about that, but what are your feelings about carbs? How do you view them? If it grows from the ground or falls from a tree, it's good for you. The stuff in the box, the stuff that has like gluten in it and just preservatives, it's not, it's not organically grown. There's some sort of processing that goes into it. And I think that we've shifted so far away from just eating mother earth's intentions. You know, we're eating more processed foods than we are whole foods. So for most of the people that I work with, we take them off of that stuff for the first 30 to 60 days, depending on where they are. And they feel great. They're like, oh my God, I feel like I want salads and vegetables all day long because we're actually built to eat that. But because there's other stuff and other options for us, we end up eating that other stuff. And that adds up in the carbohydrate load. And before we know it, we're overweight, we're tired, we're craving more. 
you know, we have fatty liver disease. There's like a lot of different things that are happening that could be avoided. So I think the question is how much of that stuff people are eating and are they eating enough plants? Yeah. And I think in your answer, you in your mind are already categorizing the carbs, right? We like talk about carbs as one thing, but asparagus are carbs and Twinkies are carbs, right? Like <laughs> they're all carbs, but they're very different, right? But I, like when I teach my clients, I say Twinkies are junk food and then asparagus are, you know, low glycemic carbohydrates, things that don't spike the blood sugar so quickly. You know, what's funny. I remember when I was younger, we didn't have that garbage in our house. And when I had them, you know, they felt like, you know, if I went somewhere, they were like heaven, like, and so 30 years pass, right? And then I come across a Twinkie and I'm like telling my kids about it. I'm like, oh my God, this was, and so I get it and share it with them because I want to share with them this like amazing thing. And it was like, oh my God, <laughs> right? Like how, oh, it's terrible. Like how was I, how was I coveting this when I was little? I, I was questioning that too. Like, did they change the ingredients over the years or is that just what it was? I don't know. I think we've just, we've hopefully refined our, our palates. That's probably what, you know what? Good point. And then you look at the ingredients, there's certain things. I'm like, I can't even put that in my mouth. You know, it's you right. Pronounce half the stuff on that label. You're like, we were not as savvy back then. Right. I mean, we probably knew Twinkies weren't good for us. That's why our parents didn't bring them in the house, but it wasn't, we weren't as savvy back then. So you're a mom now and you have two kids, little ones, but still invariably the conversation always comes up, you know, about how would we handle our children, right? And how do we manage that fine line between promoting healthy behaviors, but not playing into this whole body image thing? Can you talk about that a little bit? What are your feelings as a mom and as a professional? Yeah, that's a really good question because when I didn't have kids, I would look at other fitness professionals who had kids that were overweight kids. And they're struggling. They're like, I don't know what's going on. My kid's not eating good, you know? And I'm just like, wow, that's, that's really confusing to me. I don't even know where they could have gone wrong. And I started observing the behaviors of those parents. And it turns out those parents have one of two things going on. Either the parent themselves is so scared of like looking bad that that energy rubs off onto the kid. And it actually has an adverse effect on the kid where the kid ends up eating what they want because they're scared the expectation's too high, they'll never meet it, so why even try? And then there's the other parents that are just feeding their kids like super duper perfectly healthy food that the kid's not exposed to anything unhealthy. So when they eat it, it's a novelty. And then they grow into loving it and they're eating it all the time outside of their parents' attention. So what I do is, you know, we started very young with Havana. We blend all of her food when she was younger. Now she eats, uh, same thing for my son all the vegetables, everything that I want them to eat is blended. Their palate is so into fruits and vegetables and lean proteins. However, we give them snacks too. So for example, Havana loves her pops. When she was teething, that was the only thing that got her to not cry. But I bought pops that were Greek yogurt pops. And actually I've evolved into making pops ourselves with protein smoothie materials. Mm. So we put it into these little like cups and she's like, oh, I want you know, the chocolate pop, you know, she loves it. So I, I think it's just making really good decisions, but integrating some of the stuff that, you know, they shouldn't have too much of so that it's not so deprived 
it's like everything else. It's all about balance. And it's also about early exposure to variety and, and role modeling. There are the experiences where parents feel like they're doing everything right. You know, they're role modeling, they keep a healthy home or whatever. They try and expose their children, but their children just refuse it. You know, there is that. I, I honestly don't think the parents are modeling the type of environment they think they are. I would have to physically be there to say, oh my gosh, I'm shocked that your kid's not following you. Like little things like, um, you know, one of my, the parents that I know, the daughter was not being potty trained. So I took her into the potty and I said, do you need to go pee pee? No. I took my daughter and made my daughter pee in front of the daughter and she wanted to pee. So kids don't want to be told what to do. They want to see what they're supposed to do. I totally believe that a lot of it is in role modeling. And also what I find is sometimes parents make the decision between the two kids because one of the kids is overweight maybe or chubbier and the other one isn't. And so then they let the not chubby one kind of eat or they have foods in the house that they shouldn't have for that child. And so you can't really discriminate, right? Like if you're promoting health, you have to promote it for everyone, no matter what they look like. But I do think, you know, having kids that are a little bit older and and having friends that have kids that are older, kids are different in the same household. And I think in those circumstances is a matter of patience, because I think if you keep role modeling the same thing over and over, eventually they turn over. And And I can tell you, I have three kids, three very different personalities, and they range from age eight to 17. My son was a foodie and he enjoyed his food and he was unapologetic about it. And, you know, I had to control myself in saying certain things. I was role modeling in the house and he eventually turned on his own. I mean, it took time, but I I bit my lip and just kept, you know, kept the ship steered in the right way. And so I think a lot of it is also to your point, not jumping the gun because it's triggering your own stuff. I think a lot of times when parents see something happening in their child, it triggers their own body image issues. It triggers their own fears. It triggers their own insecurities. And it takes a lot of awareness to recognize that. And it takes a lot of strength to like zip it, right? Yeah. But, you know, going back to the point of leading by example, like my daughter, who's only going to be three years of age during the pandemic, I was doing zoom calls, workouts on zoom and her daddy was downstairs with her. And, you know, she she would watch the zoom call like every single time. Okay. Everything stopped because mommy was on TV. And now she does all the moves that I've been doing all those months. And she's like, mommy, look, and she'll do squats. Mommy, look, it's just like mountain climbers, you know, she's outside playing right now. She's so active. And, you know, you know, with the whole food thing, if she wants something that's not super healthy, I never, ever say, oh no, this is bad for you. Unless it's like, you know, the neighbor brought over this juice and I'm like, I have a better juice for you. It tastes better, honey. You want to try it? She was mommy juice. And I'm like, just taste my juice. This is really good. And she did. And she's like, mm, good. But it's also not vilifying foods, right? Like not calling them good and bad. So you, you get your exercise because you're a trainer and you work out, but what's your like regimen? Like what's, you know, what do you do? What's the Jay-Z personal routine? 
You know, it, it, it's a really good question because just because I'm a trainer doesn't mean that I have a fitness in my life, right? People think, oh, you're a trainer. You automatically wake up in the morning, you exercise all day long. I have to actually schedule my exercise programs. So I always take a class before I coach. That's twice a week. I walk the boulevard two to three miles every single day at a fast pace. Um, and then I lift downstairs twice a week. So I have like my battle ropes. I have my TRX. Um, I have my dumbbells. I haven't been at the gym gym where I used to lift heavy because of uh, COVID. So I have to get back there because I do love lifting heavy, you know, like the lat pull downs, pull ups. Like I don't have access to that equipment here. Mm -hmm. But it's, but you, you demonstrate how you can have a wide breadth of activity. Some of it is lifestyle activity, walking outside. Some of it is with like not so fancy tools or gadgets, right? You can still get it in on a, on a home, you know, budget and space. Exactly. And they're, you know, they have the equipment back a lot of, you know, during the pandemic, they ran out of dumbbells, everything's back in the stores. So people can go back to the stores, Target has it, Big Five has it, like all the major, you know, department stores have it. Um, just get a couple of pairs of dumbbells. You know, it doesn't have to be heavy. You work your way up. It's progressive overload. You don't start heavy. You work your way into heavy over time. And it depends on the person's joints. You know, if they're starting at a later time in their life, they might just need to lift moderate to lighter resistance, more repetitions with good form. And, you know, just keep those muscles stimulated so that they can ultimately age well, have good balance. You know, we forget about that. As we get older, if you lose your balance because you have no muscle tone, you fall and you break things. It's interesting. I remember a long time ago that study came out where they took nursing home occupants and just divided them into two groups and just had the one group, the exercising group, just do five minutes of leg lifts in the morning. I mean, it was like the simplest thing ever. And that five minutes reduced fall risk and hip fractures in that group. So again, I think the big message, I know you're a believer of this, and this is also something that I promote is that it doesn't have to be like super duper fancy. Like the body is so forgiving. You just have to meet yourself where you're at. That's right. And the body's a machine. So, you know, work the machine the way it's supposed to be worked, depending on where you are and just work up from there. And if people don't know where to start, like I said, invest in yourself. It's really not the end of the world. People invest in mentors, medical, weight loss, all over the place. Hiring somebody, a qualified personal trainer is very, very critical. And, you know, I used to manage trainers, so I know there's really good ones out there and then there's the not really good ones out there. So gather your army and let people teach you and guide you. So to that end, for people who want to, people who want to find you, where can they find you? They can find me on my website, which is jzfitness.com. And I'm all over social media, Jay-Z Fitness Nutrition on Instagram and Jay-Z Fitness on Facebook. And you do, you offer personal training, you offer nutritional counseling. Yeah. So right now I'm not taking any personal training clients on, but I do offer nutrition coaching. It's not just nutrition coaching though. It's lifestyle counseling. And I came up with a course over the pandemic and it's called the Jay-Z Fitness Lifestyle Course. And it's the five anchors of Jay-Z Fitness, which is optimizing your fitness, nutrition, hydration, sleep, and what I call me management. 
And I feel like that, you know, there's a fitness module in there that really sets the parameters for how someone can get started. So it gives you like very specifics on where to get, you know, get going. That's awesome. Thank you so much for spending time talking and speaking with me. Thanks for having me. This was a great conversation. I hope it helped people out. I'm sure. I'm sure. Thanks again. All right. Thank you, Doc. This episode of Health Bite is sponsored by Dell Nutrition. You can find out more at dellnutrition.com. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and are inspired to take a small bite towards your own health and wellness. If you love what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or anywhere else you podcast and share us. If you're looking for more inspo, you can find lots of content and sign up for my newsletter at dellnutrition.com. There you can learn more about me and my curated line of supplements and functional protein bars. Thank you for listening and I look forward to seeing you again next week.